The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus, as a good rabbi, is up high on a hill. He's sitting down and he's speaking to the groups of people that are there. And we've already talked about the different types of folks that have been listening to him that morning. So many different types of folks. It's not a homogenous group of peasant Jews and Pharisees. There's the Essenes of the ascetic group of people. There's the Romans, the people who occupied the nation. The Greeks from the Decapolis, um, the Sadducees. There were shop owners. There were peasants. There were widows. There were orphans. There were families. There were small business owners. There were all of these folks for following this young man and listening to his teachings. And as I said the first time we spoke about this, is that they began to hear their own voice in what he was teaching. And there was something about his words, even if they didn't quite understand them all, that somehow synced with their souls and somehow made sense about things that they were struggling with and things that they were discussing. And so this morning, he, he starts this, you might say, he, this inauguration of his work with this, um, these words. So let's take a look at them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you've heard me say that this is... This was part of the, of the scriptures that I just avoided. You know, the, I didn't mind reading about the life of Jesus. I didn't mind reading about the meaning of his life, the meaning of his death, the meaning of his resurrection. All of that was fine. But his words, those red letter words, right? And you know when Jesus is speaking because the letters are red. It, it was just a little bit too uncomfortable because what if it's true? And what if it is exactly the way it is? And I mentioned to you the conversation I've had in my head regarding this. You know, is he wrong or am I wrong? Is he stupid or am I stupid? Is he foolish or am I foolish? Who has a better grip on reality? Who actually is, is aware of true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would discuss it? Or is it it's just an opinion and a preference? Now, if it's just his opinion and a preference, then my, my problem is that, well, maybe does he know better? So I'm still stuck with having to decide, if this is true, what am I going to do with it? So when I come to this verse about, um, you know, poor, mourning, and meek, you know, and I think, man, none of, that, none of those attributes are attractive to me. We've discussed that this is maybe a process or stages people go through in their lives. And as they're coming to connect with God, they sometimes experience these different moments as seasons. They mourn because they realize their, their spiritual nakedness and their spiritual or their emotional nakedness. I, 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 this is not, I'm, I'm going to get better, I'm in a funk, I just need a good meal, I just need a, little, I just need a weekend away. I mean, they are in a long weird moment. And they realize they have no cover and they can't find any cover. They've tried and they can't. So there's a period of mourning. There's that poverty issue that goes on, realizing that there's a bankruptcy. There's that meekness that comes along which says, I'm going to put my influence, my power, my gifts and abilities under the control of somebody who can manage them better than I am able to do. But then I come to the idea of hunger. And, and uh, you know, as I said before, some of this is not really attractive. The thing about 
poverty and mourning and, and meekness is that when we experience these moments, it tells us a little bit about well, what we value. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're mourning something because you've lost something, it, it tells you what you value. And, and even all of these other issues probably explain a person who is becoming, not just is, but becoming. Because for most of us, when we are, are moving towards you know, connecting to God, it, it usually it's, it's, well, this is not to insult anybody's work, but you know, I've been in sales most of my life. I've been trying to persuade people to do things they didn't want to do almost from, from the get-go. Because my mom tells me that they had to use four ships to get me out. I'm like, no, I'm fine in here, no, you know. <clears throat> and doctors didn't buy it. And um, so I know when I'm being sold. So if you went to one of those big stadium gatherings to tell you about Jesus and how he'd make your life better, you, you, you know that you were kind of lied to, right? Come on. Let, I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was like he was like pimple cream or hair dye or something. Like, he would make your life better. Teeth are whiter. They're straight. You know, you get teeth. I mean, you, uh, you know, your hair is straight. And if it's curly, it's curly. If it's straight, and whatever you want, he was going to be that guy that made everything perfect for you. And then you found out, no, it's not so much like that. Sometimes it's, it, there is weirdness and difficulties that go along with following Christ because we've brought in so much negative momentum into the relationship. As a matter of fact, if we're really truthful about it, I think sometimes we hesitate. Well, it's like my wife used to say, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And it's just not. If it was easy, everybody would be in shape. If it was easy, everybody would finish college. If it was easy, and so part of the process of becoming the person that God intends for you to become is the journey. It's always movement. There's always movement in a person's life. And there's no place where you plateau, because even when you begin to slow down, you begin to slide back into old habits, old processes, and old ways of thinking that are harmful. So the idea of following Christ and listening to his words is, is moving a person into positive momentum towards a connection to God and sinking more further with his words and his lifestyle that, that actually fits us. But I've often said, and this I think is appropriate here now, that God is, a, is an acquired taste. Right? Because you've had friends that tell you, oh man, if I start going to church, I'm going to have to give up this, that, and the other. I, I tell people, man, hang on to it. Go nuts. Because I know what's going to happen. If, if they are connecting to God who lives, your tastes kind of just change. You don't have to try to, oh, I have to get used to liking something now. You just like it. Um, I was talking to a friend outside. He was eating this meal replacement bar I said, dude, you don't have to punish yourself. Jesus died for our sins. And, uh, <laughs> That's disgusting. How can that be healthy for you? They try to you know, seduce you with chocolate. That's not chocolate. It's like X-Lax. This is garbage. This is poison and packaging. This is lethal toxics that they're selling to you. It's supposed to make me healthy. Healthy. Come on. And then you wash it down with water. How can how is that a meal? I'll tell you, a meal is freaking Douglas Burgers, the double cheese cheeseburger with crushed ice and a Coke. You know, because Douglas Burgers, God and guns made this country great, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly guns, but still. It, it, we, 
hey, I'm curious, what is your favorite meal? Like, like when you are hungry, you eat this meal, you're like, you're like a grizzly bear with a dart gun. <laughs> what is your favorite meal? Just shout it out. Oh, man. Chicken fried steak, really? Do you, they, do you do the, your mom does the whole battering thing? And, you know, it's the smell of fried food, too. I don't care what it is. Shoes, I don't, it, I'll eat it. But yeah, macaroni and cheese, the, the really disgusting, thick, gooey, messy, I'm with you. What's that? Brazilian barbecue. Brazilian barbecue. Dude, while that's good, the Texans know how to barbecue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Lone Star. You married what? The Lone Star State. We went. My wife and I went to Austin. There's Rudy's attached to a gas station. Like, how can this be right? We were staying there for a week. I think I ate there every freaking day. If it's wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> if it's wrong, I don't want to be right. Yeah, Brazilian, but Texan barbecue. That'll set you free. Um, one other. Chick-fil-A, all right. It's here for, closed on Sunday, so it's here for Chick-fil-A. Um, what's that? Oh, dude, freaking Hollebeck and, and... Hang on a second, I'm getting winded just thinking about it. I packed my boss, we were in Cerritos, and he says, Octavio, because he's Hispanic, so that's why he talks, Octavio. Um, hey, man, let's go to Tepayac and get a burrito. That's an Omani, dude. I know where it is, let's go. <laughs> so we got into our Nepala and went down there. Oh. <laughs> we had the best of war plane as we were driving down. <laughs> That's so stupid. Okay, one last, make it good, one last one. New replacement bar. Where? That's a cry for help, just like Watchmen. Have you ever, though, have you noticed that sometimes you could have your favorite meal, your favorite thing, and still feel like, that didn't work. Uh, Lily often mentions that she has four kids. We have three. Because I, I um, like, like some she'll ask, well, what happened to you in junior high school that you stopped growing? <laughs> and my reply, after thoughtful reflection, is always, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> Which, of course, makes no sense as much as backward day. And um, I recall one time, I mean, I love dessert. I love pancakes. I can eat pancakes any time of the day. I'll even eat pancakes from Norm's. That's how low I'll go. <laughs> and uh, so one day, I was just jonesing for yogurt, and Lilia had lovingly made dinner and even served it on real dishes, you know? And uh, so I come, hey, uh, I'm, I'm really in the mood for yogurt. She goes, oh, honey, I already made dinner. I'm serving the kids are at the table. I said, oh. I think, well, this is a democracy. So I go to the children. I say, kids, mom wants to eat dinner here. I want to go out for yogurt. What do you guys say? I know. I slept on the couch, but I had my yogurt. No, 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 no. I got yogurt junkie all over. <laughs> Empty containers all around me but I got me my yogurt. <laughs> but I've done those things where I, I've eaten the things that I really, really enjoy, cookies, or as we say, <clears throat> cookies, and um, <laughs> cake, 
frosting. Do you guys just eat frosting? Were you just doing that thing? No? All right. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll eat dessert and food and chocolate shakes instead of food. But after a while, you know, by the seventh month, you might hit a wall where you just like need food, even if it's macaroni and cheese, you know, or, or something like that. You just need to eat food because you, you're consuming stuff that seems to taste good and you really, really want it but it's not cutting it for you. It's not really actually what you need. And I find this analogy so interesting that, that God and through Jesus would speak these things because we often do the same thing in our spiritual lives and our emotional lives that we consume what we think we want. Right? I mean, it's not just food. It could be career path choices. And, I, and this is not about, not about a, a, a disparaging remark around career paths. It's just that sometimes folks make their career paths, their identity. It's everything to them. If they're no longer you know, a filmmaker, they're nobody. If they're no longer an accountant, who are they? If they're no longer a manager, mid-level, CEO, whatever, C-levels, then they're nobody. This happens often to people, especially executives, who once they leave their profession, I guess that can happen, actually, it happens a lot to men. We so identify with our jobs that once we stop those jobs, men die a lot sooner because that was their thing. Um, we do it not just with our careers, we do it also with, with people. This is the part that really is probably more common in some ways because we, we assume this relationship that we have, even if it's unhealthy, even if we know it's not good for us, we so consume and gnaw at and grab it with the other person that, that they we're hoping that they would satisfy our hunger and thirst at some level. And, and even worse is when we know that at some level we're being consumed by someone else. And you have this weird, really weird, dysfunctional, codependent, weirdness relationship going on. Um, I've seen it. I know some folks struggle with that, some of that. And it's just what we do. Um, and Jesus tells us that sometimes we can get to the point where we, he can confuse love with our consumption. Uh, we, confuse, we, we sometimes listen to our feelings to the point that we think that's an indication of what's right. You know, oh, but I really care about this person. This person that's hurt you, this person that's not good for you. It's still is not an indication that somehow this could possibly be right. And so I, I appreciate the, the scriptures using often the metaphors of tasting and food to describe the experience of God. In fact, if you go to Psalm 34, let's just flip over there for just a moment. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. David writes this poem, this song. And so even from in the communities, ancient sort of, express their connection to God and, and, and when it's at its best in, in terms of, of taste. You know, there's this, haven't you noticed how God treats us holistically, right? So, I mean, it's everything. So here he's using the, the, the sense of taste. And so David writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, we, we, we consume because we lack, right? I mean, you eat because you're hungry. Uh, sometimes you just eat because you've got feelings you want to push down, and you eat your feelings. But, but the majority of us, we, we consume because we lack. That's it. In fact, uh, I'm, you could trace back every weird dysfunction, every unhealthy thing that we do with a healthy appetite that's just gone out of control that's mismanaged, 
Let me say this again, I want you to be clear on this. You can trace back every dysfunctional, ugly trait to a healthy appetite that's just been mismanaged. Because there's, there's very little that God has designed us for that he has not meant for us to have fulfillment in. It's usually a matter of when and how. So we, we consume because we lack, we sense that we're just you know, uneasy, we're hungry. And, and we even consume hoping that this time it'll satiate us, right? Which is the definition of insanity, correct? Doing the same thing over and over, hoping for different results. And so Jesus points out, look, if you're in this process with me, if you've gone through a period of poverty, spiritual poverty, spiritual nakedness, if you've gone through the period of mourning, you're sensing that. If you're looking for me to help harness all of your power and creativity so that it's channeled in a healthy way, one of the things you're going to have to learn is to feast or eat and taste from me because I will satisfy your hunger. I will satisfy your thirst. And he's not just speaking to those of us who claim to be his disciples and his followers. Because he's speaking to the person who's far away and wondering, is this meaningful? He speaks to everyone. Right? Left, right, gay, straight, married, single, orphan. It doesn't matter. Because there's, there's something about all of humanity that really does bind us together. We're not quite as different as we think we are. All of us have the same hopes and dreams and desires of intimacy, meaning, purpose, destiny. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. You still are built and wired in that way. And, and Christ is telling us that the only thing that will put meaning to all of that and make sense is him. They will finally satiate that, is him. So we consume in a way ultimately because we are meant for him, you might say. Let's go to another passage where he speaks about eating in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 48. Let, let me set this up for just a moment. Because at some level, Jesus is trying to push the issue for us as well. Okay? Just like he did for this group. This is a moment where he's got a pretty good crowd following him. Okay? This is close to the peak of his popularity. And it almost seems like he's going to thin out the crowd. In John, he'll use interesting imagery, or John uses the imagery to point to Christ as different pictures as the Son of God that gives life. And here, Jesus uses a very basic concept, bread, staple of the community, correct? So starting in verse 48, he says this, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Now, when you read this, or when you hear this, most of us, because we're westernized, living in America, Southern California, we've so sanitized that verse that it's not as repulsive as it might have been to the first hearers. Because what they heard was cannibalism. And, and as a matter of fact, it's almost meant to be that shocking still, to a degree. 
Because Jesus is asking you to stop what you're consuming to consume him. And everything that that entails. Because see, I, I find myself going back to that moment of asking myself, is he crazy or am I crazy for not doing this? Is he wrong or am I wrong if I don't do this? Is he foolish or am I foolish if I don't trust him? And if I don't trust him, why would I trust myself more? Why do I think I know? Why do you think you know? So the crowd reaction was what you would expect if they heard cannibalism. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Let me stop you for just a moment. Be honest. It's a gross, isn't it? Come on. I mean, and, 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 and the religious practices of those folks at that time was just a bloody religion. Right? Every day, hundreds if not thousands of animals being killed from bulls to pigeons. I mean, tracks for their blood. Um, and, you know, they're on the same latitude as Los Angeles, so a desert experience, the flies, the, the, the dried stickiness of blood, the, the way the priests would... You know, when you see priests illustrated in a book, they always have these cool robes on, right? Like they live in L.A. somewhere still going to a party, but they have these cool garments on, sometimes with a turban, sometimes not. Like, that's the wrong image. You have to picture a butcher shop guy. Splatter, spray, spurts. Flies, animals dying in agony. Some of the, the flesh is cut and then burned, and there'd be the smell of that burning. Sometimes there'd be the hair smell. And, and, so, and some, of the, some of the sacrifices and offerings had, had different significant meanings, right? And so Jesus comes to that. That's the context he's speaking to. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, and the blood was forbidden to, to drink. And so when they heard this, they were... What in the world are you speaking of? And Jesus is trying to force the issue. Look, you can hang out, I'm down. But in the end, if you're not consuming my flesh, drinking my blood, you just don't have life in you. Quit kidding yourself. You may feel a little bit better, but it's... In fact, let me stop here for just a moment. This is what I see happen sometimes. I see folks... They come to a community, small group, larger group. They get paid attention to. They get loved. People show interest in them, genuine interest. How can we serve you? How can we care for you? And so they get a little fix and then blow to consume what they think they're hungry for. Now, look... At some level, okay, that's fine. Honestly, I really do mean that. That's fine. We're here to serve other folks, truly. But don't kid yourself into thinking that you're connecting to God along the way. It's okay. You're on a journey, fine. We're, we're, we're as patient as can be to wait for you to get to that place where you're actually now serving others and caring for them, not just consuming, but actually pushing out. And the thing that's amazing about that is that Christ promises to have flowing life through you. 
See, I think sometimes we hesitate in giving because we look at it as a fixed amount, like a pie. Pie, like a pie. And Jesus, no, it's, it's flowing, it's living waters. So that when you start to serve others with others, I replenish. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So as I'm thinking about this, I I guess one of the first questions I have to ask myself is that what have I replaced Jesus with? You know, what's been the meal replacement for Jesus? Right? So that's the inventory you almost have to ask yourself. Because some of the sometimes the steps towards you know rational, healthy living is just taking an inventory of where you are. What have I replaced Jesus with? So let's go on the list. Is it a relationship? Is it taking too much identification from a career path? Is it I don't know, some unhealthy habit? Is it some way that you've anesthetized your emotional pain with? It, what is it that you've done? Because you know, I, we don't have to even tell you. It's not, this is not a laundry list of don't be naughty and be good. You know when you're consuming something that's just not feeding your soul. And sometimes you know it in the midst of it. You know it on the way to it. You know when your soul is not thriving. And this is, the, the tone God is taking here through Jesus is, knock it off! It's, I want you to thrive. I want to give you real life. Let's go to our last verse here. It's also in John chapter 6. It's verse 35. Jesus declared, I am I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, so here's a final question as we get ready to to close for this morning. Is he right? Did he make a mistake? That was, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. I live in the real world, you know. I'm at home with these kids. I drive the five and the 10 at six o'clock in the morning, you know, those freeways. I drive delivery. I work in a warehouse. I do this. That, that was cool for those people. They didn't have a real life. I have a real life. I want to drive this home so you make, this makes sense to you. Jesus is speaking to real life. Jesus is speaking to real life. And so when he declares, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread of your life. 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 You won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty. In some ways, 
you'll be home. And he also speaks to people who don't identify with him. You know, if this is one of those mornings where we're like, I don't know, church, Jesus, I'm not sure I buy the whole thing. Awesome, you don't have to buy the whole thing. But I'm convinced of this, that if you speak to him, ask him if this is really true, he's going to answer you and tell you that it is. And when you begin that conversation with God, and he tells you that you can trust him, invite him in and give your life to him. And have real life with no hunger and with no thirst. And I pray with you guys, dismiss you for this morning. Father, thank you so much that we can be people who are satiated and at ease and complete because you fill us. You stop the hunger. You cancel thirst. Help us to remember that if, if we are experiencing those moments, it's that we just haven't connected to the bread of life. We haven't connected to the person that satiates our thirst. So this morning we pray. We wish to be those people. We wish to be folks who have so synchronized with your spirit we are absolutely satisfied with you. Help us to be people who are not trying to consume from others, take from others, but folks that actually serve and give because of what you've done for us. Help this place to be known as a community of servants and volunteers who care for other people because we are satiated by the bread of life from heaven. And I thank you for the opportunities that you've given us Grant us favor with this community, with the city fathers, the community surrounding Whittier, for your glory, your credit, for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.